You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Um, a teacher heart, and uh, I can't wait to just sit down and be fed by him for a while. And I also want to just publicly thank our teaching team uh, that has been helping out here. Mark is here with us today, and uh, Doug, who we sometimes call Bob, uh, Matt, and uh, Justin, and Job. Uh, they've kind of helped carry this load, too, and, uh, and, and Evan's been excited about that. So I, hopefully we're going to continue to see opportunity uh, to have people stand up here and take on the challenge of preaching God's Word. But that's my job now for the next couple of Sundays until Evan gets here. And uh, we are working through Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. The theme of our uh, message series is genuine. It's about being authentic. Uh, It's about being what a Christian is supposed to be. And uh, Paul really provided, well, we should say the Holy Spirit actually through Paul, provided some really solid instruction for us to help us to know how how we can best um, walk as a Christian. Okay, got to find my notes here. Because I did some research, okay? If you were to characterize the United States of America with one word, in today's culture, what word would you choose? Divided. Divided? Okay. <laughs> yeah, united. Kind of, all right. Uh, I think a couple of you, at least you agreed on that, that it's divided. Any, anybody else? What a word that you would use maybe to describe our, our country? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Okay, yeah, we talked a lot about that last week, about love being genuine. And when our culture is rife with hypocrisy, uh, the church, we have to be on guard because the culture can come in here and affect us when in reality we're supposed to be affecting the culture around us. Okay? Me. Me? Me. Self-centered. Okay, me, yeah. And that's kind of leading to to what I just discovered on doing some research is that they believe, uh, researchers believe that right now the United States is the most narcissistic country on the face of the earth. And uh, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And so I was looking at some things about narcissism. narcissism I can't even say the word. Um, and and um, I, I want to be careful here because I'm going to read some characteristics that, are, that, that apply to what I call covert narcissism. Meaning that sometimes all of us can show a narcissistic tendency. I'm not saying that you're necessarily a narcissist. Um, I would hope that common ground would be the kind of environment where that would not flourish. Okay, But even as I was reading and researching through some of these things, I, I started finding areas where, oh, yeah, I, I can do that. Um, that can happen in my life. So um, I thought it would be good because this is kind of what our culture is labeled as, that we would take that as a warning sign to, to watch out within the church. And then we're going to see how Romans 12, verses 10 and 11 are going to just full force face on. Uh, attack this issue. So here are, um, this is basically the mask of looking good. Okay, Uh, When we're talking about being genuine, that means let's not be play actors, let's not be hypocrites, let's not put on masks and pretend to be something when we're really uh, supposed to be something else. And so today we're going to talk about the mask of looking good. So here are six ways that, that people might do that, and it can happen in the church as well. The first one is the victim. Okay, that means uh, hey, it's it's always someone else's fault. Okay, something was done to me. It wasn't me that did it. You know, I'm not responsible. Somebody else is responsible. I am what I am because of what's been done to me. 
sort of thing. And that's that's very prevalent in our culture to play the victim. And that can happen in churches too. That can happen in our own hearts where we might do that. Uh, a second uh, way of wearing this mask is, uh, and I'm you know doing air quotes here with my fingers, the lover. Okay, This is where a person says, hey, I will demonstrate, well, they don't say it, but this is what they're displaying in, inwardly. I'll demonstrate love to you so long as you reciprocate. Okay, that's why it's lover in quotation marks here, because that's not really love. They might say, I, I'm here for you, but in reality, they're only here for you now, but if you let them down in any way, they're going to drop you like a hot potato and then move on to the next person. And that can happen in churches. I've experienced that. Um, a third form of this is what we call the worker bee. Okay, this is the person that's always doing something, you know, and we might look at them and go, wow, what a servant. We have to be careful with that because sometimes people are always doing everything because they don't believe anybody else is going to do it as good as they do it. You know, nobody serves as good as me, kind of thing. And that's a very dangerous thing that can fall into um, into our hearts. You know, the devil likes to, uh, that bling and happen all the time. The devil likes to sneak in on us like that very subtly. And through good things like service, if our attitude or our heart is wrong, um, we could really mess that whole thing up. Uh, the fourth variety of this is the rescuer. Okay, do you need help with errands? Um, do you need someone to organize your messed up life? Uh, do you, do you need someone to come over and wash your dishes after a party or maybe to give you advice on a tough decision? Should you go to that school? Should you take that job? Should you marry that guy, that girl, whatever the case may be? Um, th- this person just loves jumping in to help. Okay, and usually it's unsolicited advice they want to give. You know, they just come in there and say, here it is, because they're rescuers. And, and they, they do that because they want to look good. You know, they want to, hey, I'm the knight in shining armor. I'm here to uh, save the day, like Mighty Mouse or something like that. Um, this person, you know, they, 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 they love to feed their ego off of other people's hopes. You know, because we already talked about that. Life is pretty messed up. Life is pretty difficult at times. And so the rescuer will kind of jump in and take advantage of that and say, well, hey, I can solve all your problems for you. I can, I can make life easy for you. And, and in, a, in a way, they might have had a good intention in doing that. But if it's to feed their ego, you know, that's a narcissistic thing. And we have to be careful of falling into that trap as, as well. And then there's the elitist. Um, th- this person is addicted to everyone else's admiration. Uh, this is a person who is often filled with overwhelming self-esteem. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting description, overwhelming self-esteem. This is one I think, oh, that's not me. <laughs> and I don't think I suffer from that, but I could. Um, because, you know, here's, here's a simple way that you can recognize the, the elitist. You might also call them the one-upper. If you're talking to them, they'll listen intently to you as you tell them your story. But not because they care about your story. It's because they're listening carefully so they know how they can tell a better story about themselves. So the whole time you're talking to them, they're kind of like, man, I wish you'd get done talking about yourself so I can talk about myself. Okay? Uh, and that can happen. I mean, when you're in a position of a pastor, sometimes you're in a counseling role. And you might be listening to somebody just pour out all their problems and all that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you think, yeah, what are you whining about? Let me tell you something that I went through. <laughs> no, that's not how you counsel people. Um, again, that's uh, find some things where I could have a tendency to do those. And then the sixth one, they, the label they give us is the martyr. 
Uh, the martyr is the most helpful person they know. Okay, um, they are there to do everything for everybody. They, they, they're a lot like the victim. They're a lot like the the rescuer. They kind of all blend in together. There, um, they want to be known for the good deeds that they do, uh, but they'll be the first ones to hell if they feel someone has taken advantage of them. Okay, I'm here to help. I'm here to do this. But if if I feel like you've taken advantage of me in that, then I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about how tough things are for myself. And that's the martyr. Okay, um, man, how cruel can people be? Because I'm just here to help you, and you just took advantage of me. Okay. Yeah, those show up in church. Uh, that's how narcissism can can end up in the pews. And and again, that's that's wearing a mask. It's the mask of I just want to look good. Now, I think what we're going to see in the scripture here today is how that is not to be our focus at all. We're to, this is absolutely countercultural, what we're going to see in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. And um, it's, it's going to flip things on its head instead of this all being about how do I look good. And that's a temptation. You know, we want to please God, so sometimes in our efforts or our desires to please God, it might get minimalized or trivialized into just us wanting to look good. Um, here's the best way to cure that is to say, I, I want to, I want others to look good. I, I want God to look good. And I want my brothers and sisters in Christ to look good. It doesn't matter what I look like. It, what matters is how they're perceived and how they are seen. So let's pray, and then let's look at the passage in Romans chapter 12. Father, as we go to your word now, um, again, we pray that your spirit would be the one speaking to our hearts, and that, God, you would take your, your very word that was inspired for this, this day and this moment um, with extreme relevance so that we would know how we ought to uh, how we ought to live. And again, Lord, this isn't something we can do in our own strength or power or wisdom, but something we can only do by being fully dependent upon your Holy Spirit. And so thank you, Lord, for saving us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for providing your spirit to us that we might then walk in that salvation uh, in a way that is, uh, again, pleasing in your sight. And Lord, help us to do that. Lord, I stand here as a man who who struggles with being a people pleaser. And uh, that's probably maybe some of my narcissistic tendencies in there. Uh, and Lord, I, I know Paul talked about that, that if he's pleasing people, how could he please you? And so, Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would just uh, instill that in each and every one of us our, as, as your children here. Uh, the desire to, to not just please people, uh, but to live our lives in a way that brings pleasure uh, in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here it is, Romans uh, chapter 10 verses, uh, or chapter 12 verses 10 through 11. Like I said, I think it's going to take the selfishness of our culture head on directly. Uh, it's going to show that it has no place in the body of Christ, um, and uh, that we should be known for demonstrating something totally different from what our culture is demonstrating. And I would say two things. Basically, the weight of honor, we should be displaying that, and the joy of serving. Um, that should be seen in us as well. If, if those things are evident in our life, then I believe that authenticity, genuineness, will be coming out. So here's the verses, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Okay, there it is. Just boom, it's pretty quick. But three powerful things that that Paul has given to uh, to us. He was given to the Roman believers in that day, both Jew and Gentile. Uh, but now it still is very relevant for us in this day that we live in. So let's talk about those those three things. First one is loving one another with brotherly affection. Now you might remember from last week's sermon, last week's message, that Christ basically said, here is the trademark of being my disciple. You may remember what that was? Love one another. Love one another. That's it. It's not, it's not all these other things that we tend to make more important that it's, it, the job one for us is to love one another. Okay. I think, uh, you guys still remember who Chuck Swindoll is? Okay. Some of us older generation, we know who that guy is. Uh, he talked about how, you know, Christians are like a bunch of porcupines on a winter night. Okay. Cause they, they have to huddle together for, for warmth. And it's like we need each other, but we needle each other. Okay. If you think about it, who who can tend to be the most irritating people in your life? It's not the unsaved people. It's it's the people that we 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 come and worship together with. It's very easy for us to to antagonize one another and irritate one another. Isn't that a funny thing? You think that'd be the last thing that would happen? But because of our close proximity and because uh, God's adversary always wants to attack our community. You'll find little ways to kind of get in there and just kind of get us all worked up about something. Okay, uh, I had a friend of mine. He had a he had an unsafe guy who came to a Bible study, and one night he and that uh, unsafe fellow they went walking downtown to to. Um, do something. I remember what the errand was. But on the way, they stopped at a liquor store because that fellow really wanted to buy a bottle of a whiskey. And so my friend Bill, he just walks right along with him, you know, and he waits for him to buy his whiskey. And then they're walking back to to the house, and and this guy's just regaling Bill with all kinds of stories that are peppered with foul language. And then this guy stops, and he goes, oh, Bill, I'm sorry. I forgot that you were a Christian. And I'm pretty sure that my language, and probably the fact that I'm buying booze, is highly offensive to you. I should apologize. And Bill's, Bill thinks on levels that I just can never think on, you know. And he just immediately responded to this guy. He says, why should you apologize to me? When did you become a Christian? <laughs> and the guy went, what? <laughs> you know me. I would never do that. You know, kind of thing. And he says, then you have no need to apologize for behaving like an unsafe person. You know, if you were my brother in Christ and you were doing this, then I might want an apology kind of thing. But he says, no, I would expect that from you. I'd expect something entirely different if you were a follower of Jesus Christ. This guy eventually did end up becoming a believer in Christ. And it's probably because of guys like Bill just standing his ground like that and, you know, uttering wisdom to him when he needed to hear it. But uh, I, I always think about that story because, you know, it's like I'm used to unsaved people. I expect them to behave certain ways. Okay. But then, you know, the reverse is true. There's an expectation upon us as brothers and sisters in Christ to behave in a certain way, too. And it tends to really kind of bug us when that expectation isn't met. And so what Paul is saying here when he says, love um, one another, because this is all, this is, this is, this first part of this passage in, in 9 through 21 is about loving other Christians, the latter part of this passage is going to be about how we deal with uh, the, the world that does not believe. But at least within the body of Christ, we are to love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, that's job one for us. 
That's the one thing we cannot fail at. It's the one thing that we must always be coming to God for and saying, God, give me the ability to be successful in that. To love my brother, to love my sister, no matter what's, what they might throw back at me, that kind of thing. Really what this, what he's saying in this is, is take the grace that God has given to you and show it to each other. You ever thought about that? How much grace God God has given you more grace than you need. That's how free He is with His grace. Why does He give us so much? Because we need it to give it to others. Instead of being irritated, instead of being upset, or you know, this person doesn't believe the way I believe, this person's politically aligned in a different way, this person has certain habits that just grate against me. Instead of getting worked up about those things, we're supposed to respond with grace. Just like God did to us. Boy, if anybody bugged anybody, we bugged God in our sin. I mean, we're totally opposite from Him, but yet He loved us, He endured us, He kept giving us His best that one day we might see and we might come and turn around here. So when He says, love one another with brotherly affection, He's saying, be devoted to other believers, kind of in the same way parents are to their children. Right? Now, you know, for those of you who are parents, are your children perfect? No, okay, nobody's... <laughs> Some are saying it loud enough for their kids to hear. <laughs> yeah, are parents, are you perfect? No, we aren't either. Can you imagine that? I mean, Paul uses that kind of as an illustration there, this love between parents and children there, when he talks about this brotherly affection. It's a familial love. Um, but yet, it's not a perfect situation. As parents, we learn to endure a lot of our children's shortcomings. Okay, and as children, they have to learn how to endure a lot of our shortcomings as parents as well. But you know, we we stick together. We're family. That's what matters. Okay, we're not going to let those little. We shouldn't anyway. Let those little irritants be something that would separate us. Well, that's that's the way the family of God should be as well. We're family. Okay, we're family. No matter what. Um, that's that's what we're saying. Family protects one another. Family covers each other's backs. Family loves each other no matter what. Okay, that's what Paul's saying. We will be totally countercultural to this world if we are found to be authentic in being devoted to one another in brotherly affection, loving one another the way Christ has, has loved us. Okay? And and when he says one another, this is always a mutual commitment. Okay, that, that 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 we're all supposed to be doing this together. So, being as we're at common ground, I'll say let's make that a common goal. That that we will take that verse and actually live it out with one another. And people are watching us again. Jesus says this is how people are going to know what the real deal is by how you treat uh, one another. Okay, the next uh, next part of this verse, I just did, dealt with the first half of that verse, um, then says, outdo one another in showing honor. Other versions might say, show preference to one another in honor, uh, kind of thing. But I like the way the ESV and other versions render it as, outdo one another in showing honor. Anybody here competitive? <laughs> I had to look directly at my son-in-law, because he's a lot of fun to play games with. 
sometimes. Because <laughs> he is super competitive. It gets pretty loud, doesn't it, Allie? When, when we're playing games, that kind of thing. I actually smashed his popcorn once because he was being so competitive. He just was destroying me in a game. So uh, the only response I had was to show my love to him by smashing his popcorn. <laughs> but, you know, if you, if you have a competitive spirit, I think, you know, a lot of us do. I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of what drives us here. Paul's basically saying, hey, if you're going to be competitive about something, Compete in showing honor to one another. Outdo uh, the other in showing honor. All right? Um, okay, I'm going to brag about my kid. Uh, my, my son Cameron is finishing up his, his uh, five years, six years with the National Guard this week. Um, and he's at annual training. And when he's all done, he's done with the Guard. And he's not... Going back. <laughs> he's, he's had enough, so to speak. Um, he said 90% of the experience has been really bad, but 10% has been good. And I said, well, what's the 10% that's been so good? He said, the people that I work with. So this last week, he was put in charge of a project. He's a sergeant, so he was the, the man in charge of changing out all of these um, fluorescent light fixtures over to LED light fixtures uh, over at Camp Rapid. Okay, and uh, he it was supposed to take a week. Now he picked his team out of the unit, not really knowing what they could do. Okay, but he still picked them. He said, "Okay, this guy, this guy, and that guy." There was one guy, uh, Huckle. I, I call him Huckleberry. Um, Huckle was went to school with Cameron for electrical training. So they go and they do this job. They got it done in three days. Okay. And then some bigwigs showed up, like a lieutenant, a colonel, and some other guy. And that, you know, everything gets a little bit tense when the brass shows up. And so here's, here's Cameron in charge of this project, and these guys show up, and, and, uh, and one of the wires arced <laughs> right when these guys showed up, and my son wigged out and everything about that. They said, hey, don't worry, this happens all the time. You know, it's, it's all right. And then they said this. They said, Cameron, well, Rombo, <laughs> Sergeant Rombo, um, who would you say was your one outstanding team member? And my 27-year-old son says, it would be that kid. <laughs> Which I think is kind of, because he's a kid to me still, you know. But he says, it'd be that kid right over there. And he says, I did not know what he could do. He's new to our unit, but I, I asked him to be on our team for this. And, uh, and I did not know when I asked him to be on our team that he has seven years of experience as an electrician. So he came in here, he says, I might be the guy in charge of this project, but he's the guy that made it happen. He knew what to do to get it done. That's why we got done so fast. And so they called that guy down, and the brass um, gave him a commendation right there on the site. And my son stood back and watched that happen. And what I, what I see in that is why I'm bragging about my kid here, is, is what my son did is he outdid somebody in showing honor. Okay. He, he picked probably, you know, because he was a new guy in the unit, uh, this lowly individual and said, I, I want to honor him in the sight of the brass here today. And I, I just share that as kind of an illustration so I can brag about my kid. Um, not that I instilled any of that in him. He just does that on his own. Uh, but that but that serves as a really kind of a good picture of what Paul's talking about here when he says, outdo one another and showing honor. Um, so this is a... This is a good way to look at this. When he says outdo one another or give preference to, he's, he's actually saying to us, go before and show the way. Be an example of this. 
And again, this comes to all of us as uh, people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, that that's what, that's what our job is. We're to go before and leave an example to others of what this ought to look like. And again, it's a mutual commitment because it says one another in there. We're all supposed to be doing this together. Now, honor is an interesting word. Okay, I, I had all kinds of ideas about what honor was, but when you look at the Greek, there's a very simple um, idea or notion behind this word honor, and it is to set value to, or in other words, to give greater weight to. Because, you know, you know, it's the scales, you know, we always see the scales. That's how they did the marketplace. You brought in what you had and then, you know, and it was put on the scales. And the greater the weight, the more value there was to whatever that thing was. So what Paul was saying in here when he says outdo one another and showing honor, he's saying give other people greater weight. Show that other people have immense value. Now, it's real easy. As soon as I say that, I can think of somebody that's not very valuable to me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can pick, pick some, some brother or sister in Christ that uh, really aggravate me or something like that. Uh, they don't believe the way I believe. Their political affiliation is different than mine. Or that way I can find any excuse uh, to do that. But what the scripture says is I'm to look at that person and say, they are immensely valuable to me. They matter to me. And if you ever have struggles with uh, what a person's value is, just look around at your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and pretend that they have one of those those paper price tags hanging off their ear. Okay, you know, and you go to the furniture store and they have the yellow tag for sales and that. just imagine that one of these tags is hanging off of their ear. And and you know what that's what that is? It's a price tag. And you know what it says? It doesn't say twenty five cents, a dollar fifty three, or ten thousand and eight. $132 or something like that. What it says on that price tag is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how valuable you are in God's sight. And I am not to see you in any other perspective other than how God sees you. Your value was the blood of Jesus Christ. God put such a great weight on you when you were a broken sinner and me when I was a foul-mouthed, messed-up kid. So much value in us that he said, I will purchase you with my own son's blood. You're not going to find anything richer than that, more valuable than that. So, you know, one of the things I I ask God to do, because I struggle with this, this isn't something that's just my default setting, you know. Um, When when life gets hard and, and relationships get tricky and things like that, I always have to stop and say, God, would you help me to see this person through your eyes? Would you help me to see the value of this individual? Okay, so got to move on here. Um, simply put, I think I think what Paul was saying in this is that we should prefer to give honor rather than receive honor. Okay, there's nothing narcissistic about that. <laughs> I would rather give honor than to receive honor. Man, if we made that our common goal, um, people would see what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. And then he gets down to verse 11 and he says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I like that phrase, slothful in zeal. That's kind of an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, right? It's when you got two words that kind of contradict each other, like jumbo shrimp. Okay? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go any further. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but you know what I mean when I say oxymoron. These two words don't seem to fit together. They cancel each other. Slothful in zeal. 
Okay? Slothful. They ever watch a tree sloth? Okay? Yeah. Man, they are not fast-moving creatures. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's one of the things that Proverbs warns us against, is to be slothful in, in our ways. Um, so basically what he's saying in there, don't be slothful in zeal, um, to maybe simplify that, it's, it's, it's don't be a sluggard. Okay, Don't be a sluggard. What a word, sluggard. Look to the ant, thou sluggard. One of my favorite Proverbs, you know, I'm always watching ants. <laughs> okay. And... Um, this is the idea about being a sluggard. It's not that they just have come to a standstill. Because in your relationship with Christ, there is no such thing as a standstill. We are always either moving forward and growing, or we're going backwards and relapsing. There's never a neutral position. It's like we're on a steep hill, and we either got to put our foot on the gas to keep moving forward, or the car's just going to end up going backwards down the hill. And that's the idea that he's given us here. He says, in your walk with Christ, always keep moving forward so that you're not going backwards. Okay? Um, And then he says, be fervent in spirit. And the idea in that is that that there would be this eagerness to be diligent in our lives. And what happens there is, is that's actually the, the mystery of Christ in us. It's the Holy Spirit working in our spirit, quickening us so that we're, we're at it. We're, we're doing something. And, and that's what, that's what should be an authentic sign of a Christian is, is that we, we're eager to be able to somehow act upon what we believe. Okay? We're not the guys sitting in there going, boy, I hope they pick somebody else for that task. We're going, you need some, I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> if, if I can take my belief and act upon it, then, then, then I'd be happy to do that. I, my spirit is fervent in that. Um, it also has this idea of boiling over for what is good. When we say fervent in spirit, there's nothing gooder, if I can use that term, than the Holy Spirit. And as he's working in our lives, we just become, uh, just, just our pot's just running over uh, for that goodness to be experienced and to be delivered and distributed in our life. And then when he says, serve the Lord, what he's saying is be absolutely given over to Christ. Okay, When we say serving the Lord, it's really easy for us to think of different tasks. Like, oh, well, I, I have to go out and witness to people. Or I, I should be a preacher. Or I should work in the nursery. Or I should cook food to feed people. You know, we'll come up with all these specific things. When in reality, Paul was being very general in this sense. The Holy Spirit was giving us a huge picture, which was just saying serving the Lord is being completely, absolutely given over to Christ. Now that's something you have to pause and think about for a minute. You know, you ever have days when you're not absolutely, totally, completely given over to Christ? Yeah, I do too. I do too. And that's why God gives us the Scripture, that's so that we can go back and we can read those things and go, "Oh yeah, there's my landmark. That's where I'm supposed to be." And then we can immediately, you know, repentance isn't a one-time thing, man. I, if anything, it's a constant thing in my life to say God I'm not where I ought to be I need your spirit to work in me so that I can I can be there and I can be completely sold out in, in all ways and, and the world is looking for that if you call yourself a Christian they want to see what sold out looks like 
They, they want to know what it looks like to be 100% given over to Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this. When Jesus went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf, did he give 90%? No. You know, he, he gave it all. He gave it all for our sakes. And, and now we're called to say, okay, I'm yours. You purchased me with your blood. Here's all of me. Do whatever you can with that. And I'm excited to be able to see what God will do with that. Okay, it's Not so that I look good, but so that God is glorified in the sight of other people. Okay? I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I, I, I will be teaching again uh, this fall at Rapid City Christian School. I have several classes I'll be taking on there. This will be my 16th year of teaching at that school. I keep leaving and coming back like a yo-yo or something, or a bad burrito, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, that was a good picture there. Anyway, I, I've worked under a lot of administrators, and I'm really excited about this particular administrator that I'm working under. She's really demonstrated some longevity and done some good things for the school, so I'm really looking forward to, to working with her. But uh, there was a fellow that I'll never forget. We became very good friends. Even though he was my administrator and I was his teacher and all that kind of thing, he was my boss, I was his employee. Um, I, I just this, this guy is just very special to me. And I'll never forget him saying this because he, he was coming in to do a classroom evaluation. Anybody here a teacher and you've had to do classroom evaluations? Yuck. <laughs> you know, yuck. Because <laughs> that's the day when your kids are going to be 100% jerks, no matter what. You know? <laughs> so uh, so he's in there, and he's watching me, and I got real nervous and everything and whatnot. And he sat me down to go over the evaluation afterwards, and he pointed out some things that I needed to do better, which is good that he told me that. And he says, look, he says, this is what I want, want you to understand. He says, I'm your boss, right? And I said, yeah, you're my boss. He goes, okay, my job is to help you be successful at your job. So that's it. My job is to help you succeed at your job. And then I was willing to take any criticism he would throw at me. (laughs) So he's very wise in in sharing that with me. And if you think about that, that's that's really, if if I'm a, a believer in Jesus Christ, and if I'm in a community with other believers in Jesus Christ, my job should be to help you succeed at your job. You know? and, and what's your job? Loving others. Okay? Loving God with everything you've got and then loving others. And, and if we were all to do that mutually, could you imagine what kind of community we would have here? But if we continue to wear masks of looking good... Um, can you imagine what that community looks like? Again, I don't think that would thrive here in Common Ground just because of the weird compositional makeup that God has drawn together here. But we can always grow in that. So brothers and sisters here at Common Ground, and even if you're visiting or watching us through the, um, through the live feed today, um, let's do that. Let's make it a common goal to help each other succeed at what God has given to us to do. Okay? And as we do that, let's honor one another. And let's show brotherly affection constantly to one another. So let's pray. 
Lord, you've called us together to walk in faith with one another. Um, this idea of being a Christian as a, and, and being a lone wolf really, really doesn't fly. And Lord, we are grateful for that. We are grateful for the for the family um, that you have collected together. I know that, that it's called a church and things like that, but first and foremost, it is a family. And Lord, we're to love one another the way a family loves one another. So, um, Lord, we come to you to ask for help because we want to be genuine in that. We want to be authentic. Um, we want to be the real deal. Um, as the younger generation likes to say, we want to be legit, Lord, in our walk with you. So, Lord, would you remind us somehow throughout this week as we're living life together um, to always look for opportunities where we can demonstrate grace to our brother and sister. Um, Lord, would you help us um, to honor, to give greater weight to our brothers and sisters, to demonstrate how valuable they are, not just in our eyes, but to make them valuable in the eyes of others. Lord, help us to, help us to be successful in that. And Lord, um, help us to always be moving forward in our discipleship in Christ and in our service to Christ. And Lord, let us find joy as we do that. Because Lord, that's, that's one of the ways that we can demonstrate how much we love you. We're not trying to earn anything because you've already given it to us through the cross. But, but what we want to do, God, is just show you how much we love you for loving us first. So give us opportunities, Lord, to serve. And and when we do that, may we be found completely, entirely, totally given over to Christ. Um, Lord, if we would be known for that, um, not to make our church look good or ourselves as individuals, um, Lord, we desire that so that Christ would be honored and glorified in the eyes of this world that we live in. Lord, the world doesn't want to go this direction. But we need to swim upstream against that. So Lord, may we be influencers of the culture around us. And not in our own strength or our own might. But in what you've given to us through Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for calling us to yourself, God. Thank you for giving us a Savior who paid the price for our sins. Thank you for giving us your spirit to dwell in us so that we might be able to live out these impossible, impossible things that your scripture calls us to live out. And Lord, may the result of all that be a great increase to your kingdom. So when we go out and we talk about Jesus, we've earned the right to be heard because people have already seen what Jesus looks like in our lives. We ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.